know, Steve Biggins is the chairman of Winsome. He joined, I don't know, a few months ago after a very storied and successful career at Core Lithium, which he founded, he told me, 11 years ago in the last seven was focused on lithium and bringing that project into production. It is now in production. Uh, and that stock went from one cent to as high as $2. It's now, I think, $94 and a 1.75 billion Aussie market cap. So I've often said, if you look at our scoreboard in the last three to five years, there have been a number of companies that have gone from 10, 20 million market cap to a billion dollar unicorn status. And, and that is like, that doesn't happen in gold. It doesn't happen in copper. It doesn't happen in iron ore, uh, coal. I mean, we've all been doing this for like a long time. So little lithium, this industry that has been so ignored and made fun of to some degree by traditional you know mining folks has uh, been among the most successful places to invest money if you're a retail you know shareholder in particular you've got to choose wisely and Rodney and I are fortunate enough to be associated with a number of successes like you know lithium Americas from the very beginning Piedmont lithium from the very beginning and most recently you know Winsome from the very beginning but it's only just getting started at Winsome. And uh, the lithium industry, in our opinion, is uh, only just getting started. So we wanted to, Winsome is a client of RK Equities. So nothing you hear, as always, is financial advice. And we're not financial advisors, but Rodney and I have curated uh, and put our name to only companies we believe have legitimate, you know, real long-term potential. And we've been very privileged to uh, have been approached by Chris Evans in, um, you know, about a year and a half ago, pre-IPO uh, for Winsome. Uh, we invested in the IPO and we brought a few investors into the IPO at 20 cents. The stock's been as high as 240. It's now, uh, I think about $1.30. So this is a good opportunity, um, you know, to be examining the company if you missed that initial run you know steven has a very big following in australia and core has a very big you know retail following so all of the investors that have been along for the ride from one cent to two dollars i think should be wondering why and thinking steve could do a whole host of things <laughs> with his credibility in western australia you can go to africa you could do whatever but he picked Winsome to join as chairman in a, in a similar fashion that Pilbara Minerals, Ken Brinsden uh, chose Patriot. Both of these companies are in the same location in the James Bay region. So with all of that said, we're going to, this is probably going to be two thirds Stephen and maybe one third Chris, just kind of giving an update. You know, Steve, could you just tell us a bit more in detail about the core story? in your experience and mm -hmm. any comments you have on, on the lithium market, you know, tightness or not tightness, you know, spodumene supply, you know, short, medium and long-term, any thoughts on pricing, of course, but you know, then what attracted you to Quebec, Canada, what attracted you to Winsome specifically? Yeah, well, thanks. Thanks, Hard, and thanks for the, the kind introduction. Perhaps if I just start about you know, so with, with my background and I think sort of how, you know, success was delivered for core, 
was really, you know, there was sort of six or seven years of dedication and blood, sweat and tears, really, um, and persistence in belief in the project and its significance to, you know, contributing to the transition um, to you know, a net zero economy and the growth of, of, of EVs uh, around the world. The you know, key, key components of the project, you know, was, was having a high quality lithium resource, uh, understanding, understanding, um, you know, the sort of the exploration techniques. I'm a geologist uh, by background. I've spent, you know, 30 years in, in the mining industry, working around the globe, not just in Australia, 20 years leading ASX companies. And in some ways it was, you know, sort of a, a great grounding to when we recognised that we had a significant project was, you know, building a great team of people that were determined to to drive this project into production at Finnis because we knew it was valuable. And I think, you know, outside of the team, you know, we had some of the biggest, you know, sort of industrial players in the globe courting us and wanting to be part of our business, which gave us that sort of external confidence about um, about the project that we were, were aiming to deliver. Um, and along the way, there was, you know, years of experience in, in sort of building and financing, moving through the regulatory environment, feasibility process, the engineering, you know, so the, the, the ups and downs and reading of equity market cycles to be able to sort of, you know, bring all of those things together in a successful way and bring, you know, the project to market when the market needed it, you know, bring the company in value up to, you know, over $2 billion and you know, through most of last year was probably one of the the highest traded volume stocks on the ASX 200. You know, so it was a great great success story. And from my perspective, you know, last year was the, the right time to to say, look, my my job here is done, and and to sort of move on to on to the next exciting project. And that's where the opportunity came to join join Winsome. And and when I saw the invitation from from Chris and his team to to join Winsome. Obviously, there was a, a range of other sort of companies and lithium projects around the globe that that um, were sort of expressing interest in how I might be able to add value to them. But the you know, the attributes of the project uh, that Winsome has in Quebec got my attention, and uh, and uh, that's why I joined the company. Just want to talk a little bit more about Core, which has offtake agreements with Yawa and Ganfeng, both of whom are Tesla suppliers, presumably. Core's product is being converted into hydroxide um, and will end up in Tesla's. Core had an agreement, you know, was negotiating an agreement with Tesla directly and walked away from that. I don't know if you what if you can talk at all about anything non-sensitive about that if you were involved in that, but we were drawn kind of like a straight line from no November when you walked away to January um, when Tesla renegotiated their deal with with Piedmont, you know, to get variable pricing from, mm. you know, the North American lithium asset, you know, so yeah, if you just talk about the offtakes, and then if you could talk just broadly about your views on on the market, supply, demand, you know, spodumene pricing, and what, what your sense is what's happening today, and then in the medium and, and longer term. Yeah, great. Well, um, yeah, probably the first thing I'd like to to sort of start with is so pleased to see that the the long term relationship that I set up um, and established with with the guys from Yapa over a number of years and their their early backing and confidence in us to 
to deliver a project um, is now paying dividends. And the, I think the first first shipment of concentrate from Finnis is is heading off to Yahua in you know in the next few weeks. So that's that's terrific. Alongside that, um, you know, we we and as and, you know, Chris is experiencing this right now is you know there are the, a whole bunch of you know, global strategic partners that want to get access to offtake or um, access or strategic control of quality lithium assets around the globe. So there's a whole bunch of parties that um, you know that Chris is Chris is likely to be sort of dealing with in the future, and that's the process that we went through with with Core. The other offtake we established with Core, which was with uh, Ganfeng, who are arguably the largest lithium producer in the world by volume. And then, you know, we spent a lot of time, you know, negotiating, talking with a, a range of other parties in regards to offtake, you know, all, you know, all the way from converters through to car manufacturers, including Tesla. You know, there was there was the grounds, uh, sort of the, the groundwork to establish a, an offtake agreement um, with Tesla that was put in place. But as you said, that didn't get completed. I think the environment for completing um, sort of off that off take that time in that really uh, sort of exciting and rapidly moving uh, sort of lithium pricing environment we've been in over the last twelve months would have made you know it challenging to to sort of I suppose finalise that that agreement in, in in that environment. Okay, any thoughts on you? It's less frothy right now. You know, so what's your sense of what's happening in the market now? Like Albemarle just uh, put out their results in 15 minutes. They're going to have their conference call where their lithium market commentary, at least in their deck, was a bit more cautious than the commentary that we heard actually from from Core, from Pilbara, from Mineral Resources, IGO, Allchem. Uh, Rodney and I have been scrutinizing you know, all of them in the past, you know, week or so. And, and it, it generally the balance was like, and Livent in particular was substantially more upbeat. We're thinking, given that Albemarle wants to buy the Lion Town, that, you know, maybe there's some uh, negotiating tactic in their language. I reckon just to cut in there, Howard, is that I think the basic, the basics, the dynamic that will happen over the next couple of years is that wherever there's a dip, the, the strategics will buy it. Right? So if assets dip, if there's there's sort of you know difficulty in accessing equity, the strategics will jump in and they'll they'll be fighting fighting and climbing all over themselves still to get access to quality assets. There, there, there's going to be dips in lithium pricing, you know, there's you know, as we've seen, there's you know overpricing price swings both in equity and, and the lithium commodity price, but the strategics will be there. The number of strategics trying to find an entry point and a strategic position within the within supply chain, and particularly in raw materials, is just going to mean that every dip there's going to be there's going to be strategics jumping in to buy the assets, and providing a floor on pricing. So just uh, yeah, thanks for giving us that background on core. So having enjoyed that success at core, uh, Stephen, were there any particular attributes, you know, around Winsome that you know convinced you that it was a great company to join. Yeah, there was. I think sort of straight off the bat was, you know, sort of key component there that sort of attracted me to the company, other than Chris's good looks, was that the project, the project, it's got a globally, it's going to have a globally significant resource that, that'll have economics around it, right? So from my perspective, you know, the, the skill set and the learnings and the experiences that I've, that I had in building a lithium project from you know discovery development 
feasibility, financing and, and into production, they will be applicable and useful and valuable to Winsome. And, you know, really, I, you know, I want to, I want to stay valuable to the, the next thing um, that I'm involved with. So all of that skill set, I'm looking to be able to sort of pass on and guide Chris and his team into, you know, the, the sort of the challenges and experiences and, um, and opportunities that are likely to face the company in, in developing a, an, economic, an economic lithium resource. And put Chris in the great position to sort of you know and and shareholders and stakeholders to to sort of benefit from from the work and the, the development of the project. Yeah, that was the key one. I think that you know sort of sec- secondary to that really is you know you've got access to to green hydropower, so you've got a project that's likely to have you know a, a small sort of greenhouse footprint, uh, large spodumene crystals that will be amenable for for DMS processing, first world you know low risk you know, tier one mining jurisdiction. And that's, that's I think, you know, the world is understanding and, and still a bit slow, I think, in the understanding of is that, you know, it takes eight to 10 years to build mining projects. That's not an easy task. Uh, and you can only do it in, in some jurisdictions. And there are, there, are, there are reasons why the mining industry has, been, has had a very difficult time in building, building projects in, in Europe and other parts of the world because of the level of regulatory process and uh, the difficulty in getting social license to to build mining projects. So that's where you know Canada and Australia is is sort of outstanding. You know we've seen in Chile recently. You know that with sort of moves on government for sort of you know taking ownership and development of the lithium industry. So you know you're going to put sort of either risk discount or what I would suggest is going to happen is you're going to end up having a premium put on. Development, development lithium projects in Canada and and, uh, and Australia, because South America is risky. You know, we don't need to talk about really the, the level of risk in Africa. Europe is a difficult place to develop mining projects. So, so that's and and then the, probably lastly, there is this now this sort of transition, if you like, an alignment of trade between between nations and the you know the opportunity to develop a lithium project which is adjacent to growing downstream processing infrastructure in the US and North America and you know, potentially in Canada um, and the car manufacturing industry in uh, in the US. You know, so you've got your markets right next door. So I think there's, there's a huge number of factors that sort of you know, make both Winsome attractive for, me, for myself to get involved with and for, for shareholders and, and uh, the company and, and stakeholders in, uh, in Canada. Well, seeing as you touched on it, I'll, I'll jump to a slightly uh, further down on my questioning is, is how would you compare the, the permitting process and challenges in Quebec versus, say, Western Australia or the Northern Territory? Yeah, well, I think, I think there, 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 are going to be, there are going to be similarities and there are going to be, you know, sort of local sensitivities that, that, that we're going to, you know, and site and project specific, they're going to be site and project specific and, and people in cultural specific in Quebec. But, you know, key, key, you know, the key attributes which are going to be similar is, is, you know, setting up good infrastructure and people infrastructure for, for establishing, you know, social license, social license and community engagement and uh, environmental, you know, baselines for, for the project. So that we're delivering a project that the community wants and the community understands that, that we need. And then for, for, um, yeah, you know, uh, and what I, what I talked about earlier was that you know the, the experience that we had, p- particularly in core, 
was developing a new, new significant mine in the Northern Territory. And it was the first new significant mine for 15 years. So there was a lot of uh, sort of groundwork that the company needed to do, the engagement in you know, community level, government level to, to sort of build the understanding around sort of, you know, the, the technical side of building a lithium project, but also sort of its, it, its benefits, both from a financial perspective, but benefits more broadly in you know contributing to this transition to to net zero okay great and then uh just i think sometimes people tend to forget that you know winsome has five separate projects the project areas obviously um adena and, and canset are out front but there there are many others you know how how do you think that the company might uh, evolve or or how might it manage those five? Might it look at, at something along the lines of Siona with different hubs or, or how best to to develop all of the opportunities? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question and it's something that we're actively sort of um, sort of contemplating and strategizing at the moment. Um, really, you know, our key focus is on our core assets at, at, at Adena and Canset and driving value out of those you know driving those projects towards development and production so you know that's that's probably sort of like the, the highest priority we have as a, as a business and will be the you know the value creators you know the core value creators for, for winter but we also recognize that there's you know there's there's huge opportunities with the, the network that chris and his team have established in canada to continue to grow the company and you know, sort of build growth assets um, in Canada. So there's, you know, we see that as a sort of like a parallel stream, if you like. And then, you know, we'll, we'll develop our strategy about how we sort of manage those additional assets over time. Chris, did you want to add to that? Yeah, thanks, Stephen. I think there's, there's probably two ways to look at those um, southern assets. It's One is they have slightly different attributes to the northern assets and that they're a bit cl closer to um, infrastructure. Uh, sorry, I should say a workforce. So Decel and Mazarak, for example, are within an hour's drive of Rouen and Valdor, a major mining hub in, in uh, Quebec. So they're somewhat easier to get teams on the ground. Um, <clears throat> and therefore, and then also in addition to that, we we think, well, one strategy is to, and, and this is the, the core reason we picked up these additional projects, and CERMAC falls into this um, in category as well, it's great to have a portfolio of projects at different stages in in, uh, in the company. So that in if we fast forward two or three years as we're developing uh, Canset and Adena, we've still got uh, discovery potential at these other projects that are a couple of years behind. But given their location, uh, CERMAC sits 30 kilometres from uh, Sayona's Moblan project. As I said, Decel and Mazarak are very close to Ryan and uh, Valdor with known lithium lithium discoveries all around them there's a there's a big strategic value there so we're being approached by a lot of people to to recognize strategic value out of that and i think that's where the what we're trying to decide at the moment as Stephen alluded to um we've got a couple of different projects and we've got a couple of different options to to develop and gain maximum value for shareholders out of each of those and i think that'll uh, we'll decide on those uh, over the over the coming probably this calendar year that'll become clear while we shoot towards a, a maiden resource at Adena. Okay, great. If I can move on, uh, talking of strategic options, you guys, the company has increased its effective stake in power metals, I think to around 
and just talk a little bit about the attraction of of holding that stake and if there are any synergies between the companies and you know how, how does that look to evolve you know the the obvious opportunity there is is for for additional lithium resources to to bring those into into the sort of the winsome portfolio that's the that's the key driver there but chris do you want to talk about the detail Yes, we, we like it uh, for several reasons. First of all, again, uh, the Case Lake project at, at Power Metals is only a two-hour drive from Rouen. So it's only just, it's in eastern Ontario, just across the border. So it's very close geographically to essentially well, that, that mining base of Rouen where many of our, our people are, are based, uh, where they live. The jurisdictional diversification that it gives us, I think, is quite important uh, at a federal level. Uh, there's a real push to develop the lithium industry in Ontario. Um, it, so far, it, uh, there's a number of projects there. They tend to be smaller in size. And in order to get a, a resource of significance, it's going to have to be a, a combination of various deposits that have been discovered so far. So we've definitely seen a, a push at the federal level to find more resources in Ontario. So that gives us access to more government support potentially. But then the, the asset itself, there's been 13,000 metres of drilling done um, over the last five or so years. And uh, I, I think it was Moblan with their initial, their maiden resource uh, had done around 13,000 metres of drilling. It's a significant amount. It was focused primarily on cesium. Um, so it's a bit spotty in terms of lithium. But while looking for cesium, they continually kept hitting lithium. So we, we see a lot of synergies between our two companies, and particularly because we... As part of the deal we did, we own all the offtake rights uh, for lithium, cesium, tantalum from that project. And that's uh, the lithium in particular. In fact, all of them are at a 5% discount to the quoted Asia Metals price. So as soon as there is a resource uh, upon that, that's hugely valuable for us. Um, and Power Metals is a, um, they've just appointed a new VP of exploration, which they announced last week. They're uh, rapidly mobilising to develop that resource. And as I said, we've got quite a bit of our workforce uh, housed or they, they live in Rouen and uh, Val d'Or, which is a short distance away. So we're in the process of developing a cooperation agreement between the two companies to see how we can help them and, and jointly we can move forward and benefit from a, a resource. Yeah, look, in Canada, two hours is around the corner. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I drove 12 hours yesterday from Val d'Or up here to our site. Uh, some, going back to you, Stephen, just to get a couple more of your views on things. In terms of, you know, Canada is, is moving fast. A lot of other, you know, explora explorations been focused on other metals and now lithium's coming, coming into focus. So it's been underexplored and there seems to be plenty there. In terms of um, the Canada hard rock story, you know, how do you see that playing out? Do you think that there are gonna be lots of independence or, or do you think there's gonna be a consolidation down to just a few players, you know, in country? Yeah, you know, I, I think it uh, will likely be be significantly affected by sort of access to to equity capital. So if the if the smaller guys sort of moving in, picking up ground, are able to sort of continue to fund themselves, then then you know, you'd, you'd likely to see those guys sort of stay independent for a while. But I think typically, you know, what we're likely to see is, and you're always sorry, we're always going to see sort of sort of volatility in equity markets and, and sort of, you know, windows opening and closing for access to equity, especially for the smaller guys. And that's really, you know, one of the sort of the key things that we're able to do 
with Winsome you know, earlier in the year is to sort of build a really strong cash position for the company. Um, so, and that that was, uh, one of, I suppose, one of the key learnings really is about, you know, we've got a terrific project at Winsome, you know, it will have economics around it. This gives us license to go and continue to, you know, to, to move this project towards development and production, um, you know, in some ways a little bit sort of uh, without having to, to sort of really, um, you know, so dance, dance the sort of the, to sort of, you know, sort of the, the vagaries of equity markets, you know, every, every three months, but it puts us in a great position to drive value out of, out of the portfolio. What the juniors will find and the small independents is that that, you know, their ability to do that is going to be inconsistent. And I think, as I said earlier, is the, you know, this, the need to find long-term genuine growth in supply of, of hard rock lithium is something that's going to play out over the next two decades the strategics and the, and the and the the you know in some ways we would like to see you know see ourselves as one of the you know the more sort of meaningful players in in james bay you know, will be there to to pick up assets and to build portfolios and 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 deliver significant you know lithium hard rock supply over time so we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Um, you know, in in a sort of a short answer, you know, whilst there's access to the capital, the independents will you know will peg ground, but in, in in the medium term, we'll see we'll see consolidation. Um, you know, both from sort of in the smaller end to sort of build build scale, and then probably at, at the larger end, as as projects move towards development and get de-risked. You know, there are only you know there's still only you know, sort of a handful of meaningful hard rock lithium development projects around the globe, even less in, you know, tier one low risk mining jurisdictions. Um, so when those projects move to a point of, you know, large resource or moving towards feasibility, the strategics will jump in. If they can't get access to, to offtake, they'll get access to ownership. So just uh, one last one from me for you is on, on that point, you know, is how do you think we're going to see, you know, the future for, for the Canadian hard rock miners? Are we going to see them look to do downstream and become integrated projects or are they likely to self-podgem and concentrate into the, U, into the US or Europe or elsewhere under, you know, RA or friendly arrangements between countries? Do you think it's going to, they're going to be, there's going to be more, you know, integration in Canada or do you think, you know, independent just hard rock miners and and selling the product is a is a business model to last. Yeah, I I, I would suggest the, the the better business model is is for for sort of um, you know, chemical production, at least chemical production in in Canada and, and sort of utilising the access to to sort of you know hydro power. And I'm sure uh, and it's very likely you know that that sort of Quebec and Canadian government is is likely to to want to see that. That scenario, um, you know, that sort of value add and, and sort of building of starting to move sort of downstream in regards to you know building out industry and, and technology within Canada, but you know that'll be alongside you know, and in parallel to to concentrate production and you know and concentrate sales globally, and then there'll be this very sort of interesting dynamic you know um, between sort of Canadian Canadian production, hard rock production and and the you know the US car manufacturing 
uh, industry um, in the US. It'd be very interesting to see how that that plays out and how and how fully integrated those guys want to get want to be. Interesting statistic there. We heard uh, last week in New York at the uh, at a conference that was sponsored by the Quebec government called Minds to Gigawatts. Uh, I, I saw Howard there, but one of the uh, one of the key statistics was that the over the next ten years, uh, uh, sorry, by twenty thirty, the US is going to need seven hundred thousand tons of lithium hydroxide uh, in order to meet all the car demand, car manufacturing demand, and that they just don't know where that's going to come from. I think your point's very valid there, Stephen. It's almost certainly be into the North American supply chain and even better if we can convert in uh, in Canada. Yeah, it was great to see you, Chris, there. And uh, that number that you cited, um, I've used uh, a Piedmont Lithium slide that articulates that just showing just in the US, all of the battery plants and the gigawatt hours announced and we've been talking, we, I gave a presentation in Toronto on, at the Benchmark Conference about this one lithium rush, but overall the, the North American lithium triangle, you know, in contrast to the South American lithium triangle, which doesn't seem to be producing all that much, like Argentina, like hasn't really expanded for all these years of kind of talk in Bolivia is, is nowhere. But, uh, you know, Quebec, Ontario, where you are, you know, as well as Carolina with Piedmont and Albemarle and their Kings Mountain, you have, you know, plain vanilla spodumene, you know, in a similar way that you have Western Australia going to China. You know, here you have in this, this is the most logical, scalable, sustainable, you know, source, you know, proven, you know, compared to DLE, sediment, and again, just conventional brines, it seems like in what you said, Steve, you know, Africa has risk, you know, some, there's definitely going to be some supply there and not every African country is the same. So we don't want to dismiss that. And a lot, some of it's going to China out of Zimbabwe now, but Europe is quite difficult. There's just a handful of projects or less than a handful <laughs> that of scale. And uh, so, yeah, we're, we're huge proponents of, you know, keeping it Keeping it simple, stupid, keeping it spodumene, stupid is our um, new KISS uh, mantra. And uh, but the downstream, you know, some will do it integrated. Others, you know, will focus just on spodumene, but you'll have a greater um, opportunity not just to ship it to China. Um, you ship it to Tesla. Tesla needs spodumene at Corpus Christi and um, and Albemarle is building, you know, their mega flex plant. Um, so anyway, also Howard, I think we're we're sitting in a good a good position in terms of uh, timing. Uh, although we're arguably at the forefront of lithium development in Quebec, there, there are those who are slightly ahead of us, like uh, Namaska Livevent. We, we Livevent stated its um, intention to build a conversion facility around Namaska. Sayona's um, stated the same intent around uh, their their hub in Lacorn. So those guys, with a couple of years ahead of us, will break some ground, I think. And while we're still at the forefront, in a sense, I think there'll be a lot of lessons learned. And as we do our studies over the next couple of years, it'll uh, the pathway to conversion or the, the barriers to conversion, if there are any, will become apparent. We'll be able to navigate those a little bit better. Thanks for that. And absolutely, they're going to, um, I think, all chem will want to move downstream. But all of them are going to start selling spodumene first, right? There was actually a change in live events discourse uh they said oh we're not going to sell spodumene but e even sqm and west farmers have said 
<laughs> we're going to start the mine and sell spodumene for a period of time. So, and that's smart, right? You know, it's hard to do a mine and a converter at the same time. But I think the fact that they're ahead of you, that there's second mover advantage, you know, in this market, um, not first mover, because <laughs> you see what's happening. They're restarting Cyana or restarting North American lithium. That that was failed twice. And um, Namaska failed once. So um, it, it's all good. I think your timing was excellent. Rodney has a couple of other questions. I just want to ask one more because I was just a, while you were talking, looking at charts of yourselves and Winsome's stock chart compared to Patriot battery metals. And like over a six month, you know, time frame, you're, you know, you're about, you know, equal, you know, in terms of share price performance, but like on a year to date basis, um, you know, Patriot has, uh, you know, significantly outperformed or, um, you know, so, so that there's been your stock was great up until kind of January it's come in. Uh, we've just noticed cause it has traded in line with Patriot. Like what was good for Patriot was good for Winsome for a period of time. And, and there's been a bit of a disconnect just in the past couple of weeks in regards to that. Do you have any sense, um, you know, for, for what's going on and, 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 and what might, you know, spur a change or, you know, catch up, you know, on, on Winsome's side? My, my view is that um, Patriot started uh, drilling almost a year ahead of us. Well, exactly a year ahead of us, I think. And uh, they reached a point. Well, there were, there were various milestones throughout that year, some of which we've, we've already reached. But they, they're all related to when the market can perceive the size, what the market perceives as the size of their resource, I think. Um, given the... Uh, the delineation of the, the strike length we've currently shown with the width and depth, um, the market can make assumptions on how large our resource is likely to be, given what we've currently found. Um, I think clearly the market can see that because they've done more drilling and uh, Patriot it has a larger resource so far, I think we will slowly gain um, over the coming, uh, for the rema remainder of this year as we move towards putting out a, a, a significant maiden resource. So, uh, and... And some of that's timing as well. Arguably, Patriot did it at a great time. Um, we've, we've experienced a rough market, and I'd suggest some of our recent announcements haven't, just due to the market, have not gone as well as you might expect. If we look at the macro level over 18 months, uh, I think we'll quickly pick up. Yeah, and I, I think it's probably, as you pointed out, Howard, that sort of Winsome, Winsome sort of has has outperformed at times, and, um, and you just sort of get this sort of... Um, you know, sort of different sort of sequences sequences in sort of the, the growth cycle of the of the and considering that we're you know still very much in the expiration stage slightly different sort of sequencing for for where we are in in sort of expiration drilling between sort of expiration drilling and and resource drilling but i think we're both sort of headed in the same direction right i was thinking back to um core like core in, in lithium, this Pierre Lassan, not lithium, just any mining company, this Pierre Lassan chart, you have the exploration rise, you know, and then you have the going into production rise. And in, in between, you know, it, 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 it's often just a flat period. And uh, your story at core was in that flat period for like a very long period of time. So like that, that, that rally into as you were going into production in the past kind of two years was very significant. But um, I'm just curious, um, 
are you still in touch with a lot of the shareholders at, at core steve and 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 have you had any you know dialogue you know with them or, or is there as much as we're we're thinking that uh people should follow you you know into winsome um uh, you know over seven years you had a lot of different shareholders you know some may have been there you know long long term some may have just kind of come for that going into production rise because there wasn't a big exploration um uplift or at least not that i recalled you know with with with, with core yeah, I, I think i think where the the, the market uh, sort of ex, you know sort of market external to us um started to really give um, significant value to the project is is when they could see that we were going to deliver an economic project that there were going to be economics to the project <clears throat> it was going to be feasible and it was going to get in production and that the and and with the lithium price where it was headed you know it was going to be you know very profitable i think we're going to with winsome going to get to that point much much quicker right so i can see it as a geologist you know we're going to have a very large resource it's going to be globally significant it's going to have economics around it very quickly so you know the drilling that you know the, and it's three and it's probably another drill rig chris that you're bringing in so four you know four drill rigs with the sort of the work that we're doing up there we're going to be bringing that sort of critical mass around the project where the market will see will see clearly the economics that we'll be able to drive out of this project will come much more quickly and it will come come rapidly yeah, as we get sort of closer to that point towards the end of the year. Okay, great. Rodney, you got one or two more others and then we'll wrap it up. Uh, sure. So Chris, uh, for you, um, I guess touching on the main things, the March quarterly showed just over 50 million Aussie in cash. So I guess, you know, the question is how much drilling and project advancement can you do with, with that amount of money? I think it gives us um, a good 12 to 18 months of being comfortable. Uh, it's pretty hard because we've got the two main areas of expenditure. I mean, Adina is the main area, but it can set uh, also. And we're fluctuating between the number of drill rigs and then now we're entering summer, northern summer. So we're about to have exploration teams on the ground. Uh, we're spending between you know, 2 and $3 million a month is a good guide to be using for the next uh, 12 months. So that for the, for the rest of this year and into early next year, while we develop our maiden resource and put out our PEA, we're very comfortable for that. And I think that's what Stephen was talking about. That gives us a lot of advantages that we can push on with those two key activities. And uh, and in the meantime, fend off the many approaches that you would expect we're getting from strategics and then decide what the best move is once we define that maiden resource and put a PEA out. And again, I think the PEA is going to show that, that second mover advantage that um, Howard talked about there's, we can learn a lot from uh, Alchem at James Bay and uh, critical elements. The permitting processes that they went through, I think we'll be able to highlight why it took them rel a relatively long time and what we can do to combat that and, and focus on those two key elements, which every resource is about. It's about the, the size of the resource and then the, the quickness to market. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess it, it plays to Howard's conversation of the graph and getting maximum value when you when you uh, produce a resource uh, and a PEA. So that's probably the best time to start looking around for partners. Just um, in terms of uh, quickness to market, there are obviously faster routes than others in terms of production flow sheets. As it stands, you know, with Adina and Canset being kind of the two flagship projects, are they 
likely to both be DMS only? They've both got the possibility. Um, from the metallurgical test work we've done so far, I mean, we've got 90% recovery from DMS at Canset. That, that's that's world-class. Um, yeah, that's very high. That's extremely high, and it would be foolish to think that would translate directly into the real life in the field DMS, but nonetheless, it's that certainly indicates that it's a high possibility of DMS only. We got just over 70% recovery um, with DMS at Adena, and we're about to do some more MET test work now. We've gathered the samples. We've got enough drilling to, for it to be representative. 70% speaks of a... Um, if that can be optimised, then that... that and we can get near 70% from DMS, then yes, we can do DMS only. And I think that's what the, our studies will show over the next few years. I, I suspect there'll be a hybrid where um, to get to market very quickly, it could be DMS only to start with, and then there'll, there'll be a stockpiling of middling such that in the future yeah. we can increase our recoveries through flotation or optical sorting or other means that might uh, make it you know, a long, longer term more viable. So just in conjunction with that, so you've, you know, DMS only is invariably a lot, a lot cheaper. And then if you can just give some color around the infrastructure that is at Canset and Adena, and then you couple that with the DMS only flow sheet, you know, in terms of CapEx costs, uh, you know, give some idea of, of what that's like. And, uh, you know, because that has the makings of being a lot cheaper on a per ton production basis. And then also give, you know, everyone listening in the, a sense of the availability of skilled labor in, in that neck of the woods versus, say, Western Australia, which currently is, is facing quite severe shortages. Yes. Uh, first of all, the infrastructure is fantastic, particularly particularly can set uh, the Trans-Tiger Highway, which is the main roughly east-west route that runs through the James Bay region, literally runs through our, our can set claims. And uh, the, the, the its high-grade outcrop we've currently discovered sits not 500 metres off the road. Um, and the power line, Hydro-Quebec power lines crisscross our, our claims as well. So there's great potential. I mean, can set's perfect. Uh, Adena sits about 40 something kilometres off the Trans-Tiger to the south. Uh, we're in the process now of applying for the permits to build uh, an all-weather road up to the Trans-Tiger, and that overlaps a road that's already planned from the provincial government um, that runs from the south near Shibugamu up, up to the Trans-Tiger. So we'll effectively be funding part of that, but we expect that, that all-weather road to be um, in place by uh, next calendar year. Uh, there's also where that road will hit the Trans-Tiger, roughly 45 kilometres north of Adena, there's actually hydropower that's been brought down for the Mirage Lodge. So again, power not far away. So I think infrastructure-wise, they're both really well set up. Um, there's no getting away from the fact that we uh, it, it's cold, very cold for a, a lot of the year. So all processing facilities will need to be undercover. They'll need to be in warehouses. And I think that'll add, uh, I guess, 25 30% onto the CapEx compared to a, a stock standard West Australian project. Uh, but as you say, if it's DMS only, that the no ball mill and no tailings dams and the the, um, the initial CapEx will come down considerably anyway. You know, if I look at, if I think back to Bald Hill, um, Tawana's project, uh, that was DMS only. And um, I think it was, it was a while ago now, that was 2016, 17. But I think the CapEx for that was about 80 million Australian. Yeah, that's yeah, right. 
And the other key benefit um, for sort of mining capex is this: you've got outcropping ore from surface. So, you know, if you're sort of thinking about sort of capex in regards to sort of mining capex uh, for sort of establishing access to your ore body, then you know that's that's going to be sort of you know right at, right at the last end. We, we we spoke to another uh, issuer yesterday who was in the gold business, and they basically said that they switched to lithium because you know, the bang for buck for the drill bit, right? Like to, just to be able to map out a resource is is so much better, right? Like you, you can actually have a, a very substantial competitive advantage in analysis, um, you know, when you're finding something. I mean, Steve, you're nodding your head as a geologist. I'm sure you've done other things than lithium, that that is the attraction to hard rock exploration in particular. That's why on the RK equity scoreboard, you're seeing, you know, the creams rising to the, the top, right? And it's all hard rock. It's happening with Brazilian exploration plays following Sigma, uh, and it's happening in in Canada. And it, it's ha so anyway, with that, uh, we we're now here at nearly an hour, I'm going to cut it, uh, really appreciate all those listening in. So thanks again to everybody. And we'll see you online soon. Thanks, Howard. Thanks, Rodney.